Well, welcome to this month's May the 29th, May of 2019's edition, uh, Ask Your Rep Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. Uh, for those of you who perhaps never listened to the show, uh, they run every third Friday of the month from 7 to 8 o'clock. Um, we also have a live call-in from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock where people can call in uh, with questions either related or unrelated to the topic of the month. Um, as always, has become very uh, appreciated and commonplace here with the uh, Ask Your Rep Doctor show for, gosh, 10 years or more now. Uh, we're very pleased to have Dr. Raymond Pete's expertise on the show. He uh, has a wealth of wisdom and a wealth of knowledge. I don't think there's many things I've ever asked him that he hasn't got a good answer for. So um, he'll be joining us, of course, and uh, be posing questions to him and getting his view and his understanding on some of those things that uh, we'll be bringing up in tonight's discussion. Um, I can We can always be reached um, after the show, uh, Monday through Friday, regular business hours, one eight 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 wbm herb And um, this month's subject is a little clear up from last month to get one or two of the questions I never got a chance to ask Dr. Pete Um, and then we're going to carry on with pollutants, particulates and waste creating havoc uh, with uh, biological life as we know it Um, increasingly we are armed with more and more information um, as time goes on Um, as usual I ask people to be moderate about their information and check their sources um, obviously there's a wealth of information on the internet um, and there is quite a uh, desire to attract your attention uh, so take a look at the studies but look at the background of the studies I'm always questioning Dr. Pete uh, when he'll come up with uh, answers for certain things and point me to a study uh, and sometimes these studies are buried and you won't find them too easily. What you'll find is the hype, uh, the media sensationalized responses, the uh, cliche answers, etc., or the repeated dogma or in even downright lies that are perpetuated in the name of science. So always uh, check your sources and make sure that your details are coming from uh, not vested interests, perhaps, but you know, honest research that's seeking to find uh, the truth and good science will always um, be answerable and will always uh, put itself in the right place when better science comes up with a better answer. Um, so science is a very good thing for science's sake, uh, although it's very much a um, holistic thrust which I yeah, go through the show with. It's uh, definitely grounded very much in science uh, because it's uh, a pretty true uh, pathway through. Uh, so, Dr. Pete, uh, thanks for joining us so much. Yeah, hi. Um, just in case people have uh, tuned into the show uh, for the first time and maybe never heard your voice, uh, would you please just go over your academic professional background before we get started? Um, I studied at the University of Oregon uh, biology, specializing in uh, reproductive physiology uh, and uh, biochemistry as it related to that. A PhD in 1972, and since then, a continuing related study. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and you've spent a very large part of that time actively um, interacting with people um, and trying to uh, get them to change what they've been doing and what they do 
and uh, kind of steering them in a better direction given the evidence and the science that you, you've found out and you've studied and you've recognised is uh, a much better way forward than what we're normally told. Uh, yeah, around 1960, I decided that any knowledge uh, should be useful. And so any time I, I find out anything interesting, I try to uh, connect it to practical reality. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, well, if we can just um, finish up with a couple of the things I never got a chance last month to question you about um, before we launch into the uh, uh, pollutant side of this month's uh, talk. Um, I, think the, I think the figures um, show a 25% increase over the 38 years that this study was done from 1975 to 2012 in the prevalence of cancers in adolescence. Now, this does tie into this night's show anyway because the pollutant aspect of this evening's topic very much encompasses all of these things which could be perfectly responsible for a lot of these cancers that have uh, been shown in this study to be very much on the rise and scary, uh, scary reading it is too. So they found that pathologies in adolescence uh, are accelerating and they it, it's not... Uh, it's not like a kind of very slow increase. It's a kind of a rapid acceleration um, that they're seeing in the numbers of adolescents that are suffering from cancers that never were seen before. Um, and so what do you... I mean, they have implicated obesity, and I think the whole obesity linked to diet is probably a, a good and reasonable um, detail in, in the equation of why adolescents and or cancers in general are, are, are just exploding. What, what do you think about them from a, a biological and physiological perspective? Because I know you've done a lot of work on polyunsaturates and thyroid and those kind of things. That uh... Uh, Yeah, I think some of it is the present diet and the present polluted environment uh, full of carcinogens and estrogens. But I, I think it was actually starting a long time ago uh, influencing prenatal conditions even mm. so that their uh, parents' exposure uh, is, is transmitted, uh, affecting the, the way they develop in utero uh, and uh, affects the whole maturing process. So uh, uh, early childhood diseases have increased so much. Colitis, for example, uh, I don't think it is likely that it's uh, all uh, some change in the diet that is making uh, them so allergic, so reactive to uh, fairly ordinary things in the, in the environment. But, uh, for example, it's known that uh, the polyunsaturated uh, content of the mother's diet increases the allergies of the babies. And uh, so uh, colitis in young children... Uh, it's probably a, a reaction to the, yeah. the mother's diet, maybe even earlier exposures of the parents. Right. Okay, so this would be like an inflammatory process occurring within the bowel, and you uh, always um, kind of use the bowel as the seat of health in terms of uh, a good bowel uh, pretty much will predispose you to good health, and that if there are changes that you need to make, your bowel uh, will be the first place to look at. Um, so in, in terms of this kind of reactive uh, allergic type um, condition. Um, you've also mentioned, and this, I wanted to ask you this a little while back actually, why, and I think just to get it on 
on tape, as it were. I know tape's uh, obsolete these days, but just to get it on audio f- for people to hear uh, in in future. The whole rationale behind mothers being <laughs> prescribed fish oils, uh, uh, omega oils, and telling them that that is actually good for their child's health. And I know you've rebuked this or rebutted it with studies showing that the child, whilst maybe appearing more sedate and calm and relaxed uh, when they, you know, when they're first birth, is actually a sign of a kind of retardation in some ways, and that actually there's a uh, a relationship between lower brain weight and function and intelligence associated with these the same oils that you've mentioned here in terms of. Uh, um, you know, the mother's diet and the way that's changed in the last 30 or 40 years. Uh, yeah, last month I think I mentioned the French uh, study that thought they were going to uh, demonstrate improved prenatal uh, brain function uh, by giving these extremely unsaturated fats to the mother during pregnancy. And they showed just the opposite, that retarded development and retarded learning. But... Uh, in the early 1970s, they were already seeing that, uh, that the polyunsaturated fats uh, during pregnancy made animals uh, develop uh, smaller brains that learned more poorly. Yeah. All right. Um, I think I wanted to go on with some of the uh, cancers that were stated to be on the rise uh, according to uh, etiology and see if there's any link excuse me, between um, the type of cancer and the uh, environmental um, effects, perhaps, of some of these uh, chemicals in the environment uh, with those particular organs. I know the the figures talk about non-Hodgkin's uh, lymphoma. Um, and then thyroid cancer is the second one here. And then myeloid leukemia and uh, testicular cancer, and now these these are things. I mean, I'm looking at germ cell type cancers uh, with testicular cancer, and then in the uh, myeloid uh, cancers, this is kind of again another. It's not germ cell in in the terms of sex germ cells, but it's a kind of uh, progenitors type situation where the very fundamental cell that is um, being formed is subjected to this condition that it can't cope with, and cancer arises. Uh, as a result of disorganization, and again with um, the lymphomas. Um, uh, what they have in common is rapid growth. Right. Uh, the sperm is turning over uh, constantly, and the, uh, the blood cells are, are in constant division, and irritants uh, accelerate the growth, and uh, the uh, polyunsaturated fats, for example, uh, break down uh, the fish oil uh, is always oxidized by the time it gets into the bloodstream. Very little of it uh, reaches the tissues in, in its uh, entire form. So you get these oxidized fragments that are toxic to uh, r- rapidly multiplying cells, uh, uh, causing a deformity, atrophy in the sperm-forming tissue, and uh, derangement of the uh, development course of, of the blood cells leading to leukemia and lymphoma. Do, do you think, um, how long do you think it takes? 
uh, from exposure to, I mean, I'm sure it depends on how healthy a subject is to begin with, how much uh, metabolic energy they are capable of producing, how poor, poorly they are, um, you know, functioning will also be detrimental to them. They'll probably go, go down quicker, as it were. But how long do you think these things might take before they start manifesting as... Uh, in these rapidly multiplying tissues, I think it's much faster than in the average cancer. I think that's why uh, leukemia has been seen uh, so often in children uh, just a few years old, uh, where the typical cancer, uh, a brain cancer or, or a, a pancreas cancer, for example, uh, usually takes 20 years or more from the uh, carcinogenic primary exposure to the uh, appearance of, of the fully developed tumor, sometimes 40 years. Uh, but uh, you can definitely uh, show that there's a cause uh, connection to it, uh, but, but it, it's long delayed. And, and that has been useful to the polluting industries <laughs> right. uh, to uh, claim that you can't show the, the cause and effect relationship. Yeah. But animal studies uh, make it clear that Although there is a delay, it's an absolutely <clears throat> causal process. Yeah. Um, do you do you think that uh, younger people inherently have more resistance, though, um, to these kind of insults, or do you think actually they're more susceptible? Uh, in uh, some of those tissues, they're probably more susceptible because of their extreme uh, speed of turning over uh, a, a little... Uh, deviation in the, the regulatory process can send them wildly off course. But generally, the, the extremely high metabolic rate and quick cell division lets young organisms bypass. They can find a way around the toxic problem and overcome it. Okay. All right, you're listening to Ask Your Dr. K. M. D. Garberville, 91.1 FM. Uh, from now until the end of the show, 8 o'clock, uh, you are invited. Well, no, from 7.30 to 8, 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in. Uh, the show does stop at 8 o'clock, but uh, if people would like to call in with any questions, the number is 707-923-3911. Uh, so, Dr. P., I mentioned uh, to you in talking uh, last month about what hasn't actually surfaced again as another... Uh, sensational headline, unlike Ebola, which certainly seems to be grabbing the headlines along with the measles, uh, quote unquote, epidemic. But what do you, uh, what did you have to say about Candida auris? I don't think you were that impressed with uh, some of the sensational headlines uh, claiming it to be this superbug that's going to just become the be all end all of. Uh... Uh, the advertising I've seen connected with it strongly suggests that it's an advertising campaign for yeah. new drugs. <laughs> Okay, there you go. All right. <clears throat> so uh, my last question um, related to antibiotics and um, when, I was, uh, when I was studying herbal medicine uh, in 1990 here, um, they were all talking about, you know, antibiotic resistance and superbugs and not having uh, antibiotics to treat infections and we were all going to be in big trouble. And... Um, yeah, I think to one extent or another, that's probably um, happening. But what do you think uh, in terms of the arsenal of antibiotics that we have to treat infections? 
in in Eastern Europe and Asia, long before penicillin was discovered, uh, people were uh, finding that there are bacteria-killing viruses, the bacteriophage. Uh, And uh, that technology has really developed uh, to a high degree, but it's of no interest uh, to the countries that have a highly developed pharmaceutical industry. Uh, But uh, these uh, viruses infect only bacteria, kill certain species. Uh, The bacteria never develop resistance to them, and the viruses are perfectly harmless to uh, uh, mammals and and people. All right, so you think, as far as you're concerned, there's enough uh, phage uh, uh, research being done to produce phages pretty much tailored for uh, whatever organism it is that they are looking to uh, eradicate or deal or treat or that may have become resistant to antibiotics you think that they uh, yeah some people have told their stories of uh, being diagnosed as incurably infected with super bacteria going to eastern europe getting totally cured quickly interesting all right so again the uh, i don't know if it's the russians or uh, some other eastern yeah uh, southeast uh, uh, Bulgaria and Romania, I think, wow. have a good tradition. India, too. Wow. wow. Yeah, I know the Indians are pretty smart people. I've got a lot of respect for them. It's, uh, I think it's an un- underrated country. A lot of poor people, but some very brilliant, uh, some very brilliant people have come from there. Okay. So, um, I wanted to talk about a subject that we did touch on a little bit last month, but I don't think we've really got into it at all. Um, particulates and whether these particulates are from diesel engines um has been certainly mentioned in england a long time ago that the uh, emissions from diesel engines were so fine that they posed a respiratory problem and something had to be done uh, to make the engines more efficient or therefore the uh, uh, scrubbers and the exhaust uh, more efficient at pulling pulling these things out um but uh, i read an article saying that uh pollution and air pollution in particular although we talk about other pollution later on but air pollution uh is essentially causing damage to every organ in the body and this was a big article ran through from basically from the brain um saying that this uh particular types of uh, air pollution can be carried and transmitted up the olfactory nerve and into the brain um then they talked about thyroid and uh, the lungs and then the reproductive organs saying that basically nothing was spared and that um, dementia and heart and lung disease uh, were becoming increasingly prevalent and they're putting it down to air pollution and just saying that it's becoming a, a crisis that needs to be addressed. Um, uh, just just a few months ago, the accepted number of deaths caused by air pollution was about 4 million per year, but uh, this recent World Health Organization study says it's uh, over 8 million, I think 8.8 million mm. dying from air pollution. I mean, in, certainly in developing countries, um, Asia, I think in particular, you see pictures of the smog in China or, you know, in other capitals uh, of the kind of Asian world. And it looks absolutely dreadful. It looks a bit, it reminds me of what would have been smog in, you know, the early 1900s in England. And obviously, um, Things like coal-fired power plants are on the increase in terms of generating energy to keep the economies going. Um, what do you, what do you think about what we're faced with? And I've always wondered about the uh, Redwood Coast here. Um, 
supposedly California's got a really clean... I would imagine, where, you know, I'd like to see the data, real data for it, but after coming across thousands of miles of ocean, I would have imagined that the uh, air would have been relatively clean compared to uh, if we were on the East Coast and we're getting air from the West Coast and it's blowing across the whole of the states, picking up and carrying with it. Well, we do get some smoke and dust from Chinese industry, but uh, the West Coast is far cleaner than interior. Uh, coming across the ocean, it, it does uh, rain out or uh, settle out uh, lots of material. Yeah. Okay, so from a, from a respiratory point of view, before we get into any particular pollution, um, I've certainly, when I first came here in 2001, I never really thought too much about it, but it's kind of it stayed with me for a while. Um, the What they call here the Humboldt hack, uh, and there was actually a uh, um, uh, an herbalist who was making a product that was called Humboldt Hackaway, and it was pretty popular, I think, because there were so, so many people here in this area that had this persistent, uh, chronic uh, clearing of the throat. And uh, I didn't think too much of it, but everywhere around me I would hear people coughing and hacking. Uh, and lo and behold, probably four or five years ago, I started doing it myself. And that tell you, um, I don't know whether or not it's uh, redwood uh, allergy or if it's, uh, um, you know, an allergy to some endemic species that lives in this area or mold. People want to talk about, uh, you know, the mold uh, because of the uh, fairly dense canopy of the forest here and how damp it is most of the uh, winter, at least until the dryness of the summer comes. But... Uh, what do you think about that kind of respiratory uh, respiratory allergy that, uh, or, or a chronic uh, infection even, I wonder, that would be uh, responsible for such a persistent cough? I mean, it reminds me of something that doesn't probably end in a good way. Uh, the um, foliage, uh, big forests do emit quite a lot of organic material, uh, including pollen, uh, and uh, probably is, is a cause of a lot of Allergy. I know there's an, a region in Texas famous for its cedar tree allergies. Uh, I imagine uh, conifer forests uh, ha- have people who are sensitive to their pollen. Yeah. Have, have you heard anything like that in Oregon? Or, I mean, no, 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 I haven't, surprisingly. <laughs> and, when, and when I've gone away, whenever I've gone back to England... Um, you know, it does generally clear up in the couple of three weeks that I have to go. Um, you know, it certainly makes a difference. And I'm like, wow, what is it that sensitized me to, uh, to, to where I live? And I think there is something real about it. Anyway, okay, so uh, getting on to um, plastics. I know that's another a big topic, and I, you know, I, I saw it probably the first time about eight months ago, I think, or, or maybe a year ago. Um, and I'd never really considered it before. I think we all recognize just how ubiquitous plastic is um, and has been for quite some time now with the petrochemical companies producing it. And the sea, the gyre, uh, the one of five gyres in the world, the, the North Pacific gyre uh, becoming this floating island of debris, bigger than bigger than Mexico, it's probably half the size of the continental U.S., and um, that a uh, a dive was done down to the Marianas Trench, which hadn't hadn't been exceeded since the uh, first dive in 1960. Uh, someone went down, oh, just just a year ago, I think, 
And um, lo and behold, they found down the very bottom of the Mariana Trench what appeared to be plastic debris. And so this sparked a whole, uh, you know, investigation into what's going on with plastics when they get into the environment. And the uh, the breakdown of the fragmentation or defragmentation here of plastics into microplastics uh, and how just about every animal species is becoming loaded with these microplastics. I was wondering from an uh, estrogenic perspective that these have got to be disrupting uh, the endocrine system and, and being responsible for some part of the cancer makeup. Um, yeah, the, the plastics are in general uh, very hydrophobic. And so the uh, things like the polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons that are famous carcinogens, uh, these concentrate on the surface of the particles. And, and so even the, the particles that are uh, macroscopic, <clears throat> uh, when they're ingested, they uh, deliver a big dose, concentrated dose of these organic carcinogens uh, that are bound to the surfaces. But then there's the, the smaller particle uh, is toxic in, in a directly structural way. Uh, the extremely small nanoparticles uh, pass right into the through the cells into the circulatory system and are taken up by cells all through the body. Uh, and uh, if you think of the scale, even though they're extremely small compared to bacteria compared to proteins inside the cells, uh, they're relatively huge. Uh, so they're very foreign to the uh, structure of the cytoplasm. And so uh, they're necessarily disruptive when they get in cells. Uh, and that, to the degree that uh, their size uh, interferes with the, the functions of the cytoplasm, uh, they turn on alarm reactions of different kinds uh, one kind of reaction is to uh, make the cell uh, leaky, uh, uh, giving up uh, proteins. Like when the liver is irritated, it leaks its proteins and enzymes into the bloodstream. But ATP itself leaks out when cells are structurally irritated by these particles. And then the ATP is recognized as a danger signal by the environment. Uh, and so uh, it tends to be a, wow. a self-perpetuating reaction. Cell gets irritated, sends out ATP, which alarms other cells. They leak ATP, and, and, and you get a, a storm of uh, cells losing their energy and creating excitement in their environment. Hmm. Okay, even to, even to ATP, huh? Yeah. Wow. All right, I, I uh, looked at the... Um, bisphenol A and the other, uh, what they call the persistent organic pollutants that were banned in the 70s, um, just because they, they recognized after they've, uh, polluted everything massively that these things were so persistent in the environment that they needed to do something about it because n not only would they just not break down and be persistent for a long time, uh, they were taken up by the fat tissue uh, of any animal that would consume it. And so pass up the food chain uh, and right up to us, obviously, as uh, um, we talk about the uh, the oceans being contaminated with uh, plastics and microplastics, the uh, fish that we eat and the shellfish that we eat. And I wanted to ask you about shellfish. I know you're a big advocate uh, of shellfish for 
uh, micronutrients and things that you won't typically get from terrestrial organisms. But I looked at an article talking about mussels in England uh, and the people that would collect mussels and harvest them. And I think in Ireland, also on the west coast, it's a relatively, you know, it's a relatively good uh, source of food that people can gather easily. Uh, but these uh, little crustaceans here, they can they can pick up the same microplastics uh, as well as these other compounds and that um i wonder what what uh, at what point does the negative effect of any of that outweigh the beneficial effect of anything that's uh, obtained from them rather than terrestrial creatures because i've always i guess i've always steered clear of fish here for the last 15 years or so since i started finding out just how much pollution there was in uh, in the ocean in terms of uh, heavy metals uh, and other you know other compounds the like like the uh, uh, organic compounds the, the plastic particles uh, tend to be concentrated up the food chain uh, right. since, since they aren't mm-hmm. uh, well detoxified uh, the bigger older organisms are the ones that are uh, most polluted and dangerous so uh, years ago, uh, we stopped eating uh, the large fish, uh, mm-hmm. uh, or- orange roughy and, and halibut, for example, yeah. uh, live a very long time and accumulate huge amounts of toxins. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I did a similar thing about two years ago, uh, once it started becoming uh, just more and more relevant. Um, I think for the longest time I wanted to go fishing and was... Um, I don't know, it has never really happened. And I think as time went on, it just became more probably relevant that I shouldn't go fishing because actually the fish wasn't that good. And so in the end, I I ran uh, five, I think, different types of fish that were caught here locally uh, on the West Coast, just out in Shelter Cove where we live. And I sent it to a lab in Washington that we run uh, our herb material uh, through ICPMS, which is an in- induction-coupled uh, mass spectrometry uh, and picking out specifically um, the California Prop 65 compounds that we need to uh, closely watch and be in compliance with in terms of production of our medicinal herbs. Uh, so arsenic, cadmium, lead, and mercury were the things that we were looking at in our herbs, and I sent fish samples to the laboratory up in Washington to sample, and I was staggered, actually, at what came back. And um, there was definitely a correlation between the larger fish, uh, so between tuna, salmon, cod, and bottom fish, um, they were in descending order, loaded uh, with mercury. I didn't, I wasn't able to speciate, speciate the mercury to see whether it was methyl mercury or some other compound. But um, they had the same thing with cadmium too in arsenic, and um, way higher than any animal product that I sent to the same lab uh, in terms of wild game that was hunted, uh, whether it was um, elk or. Uh, deer locally that was very clean comparatively so it's always put me off uh you know eating eating fish even though it comes from california and california is supposedly really clean and we'd like to believe that our air is clean and the water's clean and we live actually in a very special place you know um it's it's so unfortunate that there is a worldwide uh polluted ocean i don't think there's any real escape from it is there um no uh, that information is part of why I'm an advocate of milk because uh, you start with uh, moderately polluted uh, vegetation. A cow eats it and mm-hmm. uh, sends it to the rumen where bacteria and uh, fungus uh, uh, 
various microorganisms break it down and process it, uh, eliminate many of the, the toxic materials uh, on the microbial level, uh, then it's filtered uh, into the, the animal's bloodstream and filtered again in, into the, the memory gland for levels of extremely efficient filtering. Uh, so milk is probably the uh, safest food by a wide margin. <laughs> uh-huh. All right, let me just uh, ask the engineer. I guess our lights have gone out, but I still hear you and I still see him, so I think we're all good, even though the lights have gone out. And I've seen the lights flashing there in the studio, so I don't know if we have any callers on the air or not. Oh, the lights have come we back. We had up. a caller... Who wanted the, who was asking the doctor to speak to uh, the ingredient in Roundup, the glycosate. Oh, right, the glyphosate. Yeah, glyphosate. Oh. That's okay. correct. Well, let me just uh, let people know you're listening to Ask Your Ob, Dr. KMD Gabbable, 91.1 FM. Uh, from now till 8 o'clock, callers are invited to call in with any questions, either related to plastics pollution, environmental pollution, cancer, etc., uh, etc., et caused by pollution and the rise in it, and how to mitigate that. I'll be asking Dr. Pete in a bit here some of the strategies that can be uh, probably best employed. Uh, and also, um, doesn't really matter if the question is unrelated to uh, this month's show, but the number is 707-923-3911. So, Dr. Pete, I think that person who hung up was asking about glyphosate, and I saw that um, they'd been massive uh, punitive damages awarded recently for uh, for that product by <laughs> by people that have gotten cancer, unfortunately. Thirty or forty years ago, I knew people who had studied biology at the Oregon State University, a land-grant university which uh, specializes in agriculture, and uh, really their education is highly guided by industry, by the pesticide and herbicide industry, and uh, they were telling me that uh, Roundup is specifically toxic to plants, so it can't hurt animals, <laughs> and uh, they simply uh, were taught that uh, there are some kind of <clears throat> biological <clears throat> ultimate distinctions between plant cells and animal cells, but uh, really we have so much in common that it's not at all surprising that uh, Roundup is extremely toxic to animals, too. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, I just got a little uh, uh, one line here that I saw in an article that uh, in Germany they say that the young men there have been found to produce only a third of the sperm that German men did 30 years ago. Now, what do you think about virility and um, you know, spermatogenesis in, amongst, amongst men? And um, that probably ties into pollution and just uh, decrease energy and uh, uh, yeah everything many things are, are called uh, uh, phytoestrogens and mm -hmm. uh, pseudoestrogens and so on but anything injurious uh, creates inflammation and the inflammation leads to the production of estrogen and so uh, anything that is toxic is going to reduce a, a man's uh, uh, testosterone, sperm protection, and in general, virility. Okay, uh, so let me ask you about phytoestrogens, uh, just for the record here, because when, uh, when I was studying herbal medicine, um, you know, back then I was under the misguided belief that um, 
Phytoestrogens were good for females with menopausal hot flashes and that they were beneficial. And um, then I think you just just said no. <laughs> so what, what are your thoughts on, uh, your take on phytoestrogens and, and how they interact in the body? So women that maybe might have been using black cohosh or wild yam or other phytoestrogenic herbs are actually not doing what they should be doing because we all recognize now that progesterone is really what you need. Um. Some of the herbs are uh, anti-prolactin rather than specifically anti-estrogen. Right, that would be Vitex, perhaps. But so, so that can be uh, very protective. Uh, and the uh, official concept of what's estrogenic is what sticks to the so-called estrogen receptor. Uh, but uh, uh, the estrogen receptor, uh, even in the total absence of estrogen, if you injure the cell or cut off the oxygen supply, the estrogen receptor goes through its actions of uh, acting like estrogen is present. Uh, so that the, it's somewhat of a coincidence that uh, a substance uh, binds to uh, the estrogen receptor uh, doesn't mean that it's going to activate estrogen-like processes. It can inactivate the estrogen system, depending on what it does to that protein. Hmm. Uh, okay. uh, uh, so the, the um, uh, estrogenic substances, really, uh, a lot of them have been called phytoestrogens, but what they're doing is in either decreasing or intensifying the cell's energy production. Uh, estrogen characteristically acts like the uh, loss of oxygen, uh, and so if you have something that in effect suffocates the cell, that's estrogenic. If you have a, a so-called phytoestrogen, might stick to the estrogen receptor, but if it is an oxidant and activates, catalyzes the oxidative processes, then it's acting as an anti-estrogen. Okay, let's hold it there, Dr. Pete. There's uh, a couple of callers on the line that have been busy flashing away in the studio. So let's uh, let's see this first caller. First caller, you're on the air. Where are you from and what's your question? Let's see if our engineer... Can... Yeah, okay, caller, if you're, you're on the air, where are you from and what's your question? Okay. Is it... Am I on? Yes, go ahead. Okay, I have a question. Um, we have not vaccinated our six-year-old. And being in California now, it looks like we're going to have to, even with the doctors, exempt to be in school. And I'm just curious if there's any kind of, like, herbal or any, like, if we do decide to vaccinate, I'm just curious if there's things you can do on the herbal medicine realm or boosting immune system or anything like that. Right. Okay. All right. Well, it's definitely a controversial subject and one for which uh, we're called anti-vaxxers because uh, uh, we have two children and they're both in the same situation. Um, we never did vaccinate and we don't intend to vaccinate. Um, and they're beautiful, healthy young children and um, hopefully they'll stay that way. I, I think we've done shows in the past on vaccines and I know Dr. Pete will speak to it, um, having, having had some... Um, personal uh, interactions with vaccine stroke damage and uh, you know mitigating uh, the effects of the uh, the condition um dr pete first how do you feel about anti-vaxxers oh uh, 
it, it's um, I, I think it, many of them are, are far better informed than the doctors who uh, ran against them. Uh, uh, Suzanne Humphreys, for example, mm-hmm. uh, was I, I think she was a kidney specialist who uh, noticed that the, when her patients were vaccinated at admission, uh, they got worse. Uh, than the patients who weren't vaccinated, and she asked the hospital to stop vaccinating her patients, and had a fight with the hospital officials, and decided to specialize studying what happens with vaccinations for several years. So she's really well informed on it, and the doctors I see ranting about the anti-vaxxers are generally either totally ignorant and incompetent, or they're lying. It's just a, a very simple question. That there have been national waves, like an epidemic of narcolepsy in Finland and another country, following a big wave of vaccinations. It's well established that the aluminum hydroxide, which is in more than 100 vaccines, is one of the systemically toxic pro-inflammatory particles. It's added to the vaccine simply because it rouses a generalized systemic inflammation uh, that makes makes the body uh, react more intensely to whatever uh, antigen-related disease might be present. But that same generalized, unfocused, uh, inflammatory reaction caused by the particles is exactly what turns on uh, autoimmunity and other degenerative processes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's not a it's not a short answer to your uh, question, caller. Um, in terms of okay, so you, you asked what could be done herbally. Um, I think um, as appropriate as that is your nutrition. Um, Dr. Pete's a big advocate of getting very good whole nutrition. Um, so your your diet is very important, and obviously things that lower your metabolic energy, like the polyunsaturates, uh, to be avoided. Um, you certainly want to be looking at keeping your bowel clean, so you want to be avoiding bread, gluten, etc., those kind of sources. Uh, but from a from a energy point of point of view, things that support your thyroid. Um, and I'm not just saying this is going to protect you against smallpox, you know, if smallpox starts suddenly reappearing. Um, but basically, I think the metabolic energy of our people uh, has gotten to a point where we're on the, on the edge of being sick. Um, and so I think the vitality of our civilization has definitely decreased with all the environmental toxins, the pollutants, the, the rubbish in the food chain, and the kind of, kind of uh, lifestyles that we've engendered by not working like we used to i think it all promotes a weaker organism so um herbally in that in that regard uh there are certainly things that you can do that would be supportive uh of biological energy production uh, i was going to ask dr pete a question uh, about the liver in terms of being responsible for um metabolizing waste um but i i know there's another couple of callers on the line here so i want to make sure we get time for them and they can ask dr pete uh the questions on that but um, in terms of being a uh, anti-vacciner, I think one of the most important takeaways from the vaccination thing is it's not per se 
anti-vaccines. There are definitely vaccines at work. There's no doubt about it. Um, but I think what it is, it's just the prevalence and the increasing numbers given simultaneously uh, which have really caused the problems and I think it's becoming a machine and very much a profit driven machine uh, which is actually causing the problems not the, the you know the the altruistic desire from humanitarian doctors to save children from disease I don't think anybody wants to avoid that for one second so it's a kind of uh, it's a hot topic and I think I'd probably better leave it there for right now because we do have a couple of other callers on the line so, next caller, can we get uh, one of where the, you're um, from and what's your question? Well, the, the, one of the callers who called uh, asked me to ask the doctor uh, how he, he feels about flax versus fish oil. <clears throat> probably not much better, but it's probably not quite as bad. Dr. Pete, flax, uh, flax oil versus... Uh, oh, uh, much, much better in some ways, uh, uh, but it uh, is slightly more stable uh, than uh, fish oil. The fish oil... Uh, luckily, uh, is very quickly degraded. The, the flax is a little more persistent, and so it, it can be more toxic in the long run. Okay. And the other question we had was whether the doctor would recommend bentonite for clay uh, for flushing toxins. Um, uh, no, the, the um, clay is uh, slightly soluble in stomach acid and releases uh, uh, at least a little uh, aluminum and other uh, toxins. And the particles, being very fine particles, are susceptible to persorption uh, when, uh, especially if your intestine is irritated, uh, the contraction can force uh, these particles right into the bloodstream. Uh, and uh, uh, the, the particle size can uh, be as much as 10 times the diameter of a red blood cell, and so uh, particles uh, getting into the circulatory system can cause considerable microscopic damage. Okay, thanks for that. Uh, there is another caller on the air, so let me just let people know that from now until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with questions either related or unrelated to this month's uh, subject of pollution, uh, environmental pollution, etc. Number 707-923-3911. Okay, so uh, let's take this next caller. Caller, where are you from and what's your question? Would that be me? Yes, that would be you. What's your question where are you from? Oh, nice. I'm in Phillipsville, and I want to thank Dr. Pete for coming on, and, and thank you for um, bringing this wisdom to us. Um, my question is about um, there's new research about highly sensitive personalities and excess cortisol in the bloodstream, and I'm wondering what... Uh, Dr. Pete thinks about people who live with, you know, gushers of cortisol day to day. Okay. And, yeah, thank you. And I'll take that off the air. Okay. Uh, Dr. Pete, um, high cortisol exposure, what do you think is the outcome? I, I, there are lots of things you can do, uh, starting with uh, oxidative metabolism, uh, doing things that preserve your, your thyroid function, and when your thyroid is functioning efficiently, you can turn your cholesterol fairly massively into pregnenolone, progesterone, and DHEA, which are the main uh, uh, opponents of cortisol. Uh, cortisol uh, stops inflammation, but it activates a lot of 
degenerative breakdown processes uh, when it isn't backed up uh, by large amounts of these three anti-inflammatory stabilizing steroids. Uh, and, and so thyroid and good nutrition, adequate protein, vitamin A, vitamin D, uh, all of the nutrients uh, help you uh, do the conversion to, to a DHEA, progesterone, and pregnenolone to uh, block and neutralize and reverse the effects of, DH, uh, of a cortisol. Okay. All right, Dr. P, um, I wanted to ask you personally what uh, you think uh, about a strategy to improve the liver's function to metabolize waste. Do you think that's, uh, I mean, and from a herbal perspective, it's a no-brainer because, you know, they would talk about hepato-restoratives, liver-supportive herbs. You know, they, you can find studies just everywhere showing that either milk thistle is very helpful for the liver or schizandra or any number of bitters or other compounds that are shown to have uh, either antioxidant or hepatoprotective uh, effects. But what do you what do you think of the rationale of improving the liver's function? I mean, to add to, to metabolize waste and to clear it more efficiently from circulation. Do you think that's uh, relevant? Oh, oh yeah, and um, all of the tissues apparently have taste receptors, especially for bitter, and so the mm. bitters are, are acting uh, on these particular receptors to uh, have a calming, uh, stabilizing effect all through the body. Uh, but the whole energy and uh, protein synthesizing uh, system is involved in detoxifying it. It uses uh, glucose or fructose, turning it into uh, uh, both uh, vitamin C uh, in most animals, but in, in humans only to uh, glucuronic acid, which is then attached to toxins uh, for excretion. Uh, and uh, if you're well nourished, have the B vitamins, uh, adequate uh, carbohydrate and protein, uh, then your your liver is uh, pretty uh, efficient. It, it can catch toxic uh, uh, substances, especially hydrophobic materials. It has proteins that can catch massive amounts of these things out of the circulation, holding them uh, for as much as 24 hours uh, while the enzymes uh, degrade it. Uh, either break it down into other substances or attach uh, glucuronic acid or, or uh, sulfate uh, to uh, make it water-soluble for excretion. And uh, polyunsaturated fatty acids uh, can be processed and excreted in the same way uh, to prevent uh, the damage that oxidizing them does. All right. Now you mentioned you mentioned bitters, and I just wanted to pick up on that quickly because we have another caller here. But so these would be the kind of things that we would traditionally use in the in the herbal world uh, for increasing stomach acid, for pepsin production, to increase digestion uh, and assimilation, um, and reduce inflammation. Yeah, you're saying okay to reduce it, uh, bitters to reduce inflammation. So tell me how uh, how you see how you link those two. Uh, there is a protein the same that we have in our tongues, uh, uh, the stomach and, and uh, uh, liver tissue, various lungs, uh, uh, the um, whole respiratory system uh, can detect uh, the, the bitter uh, substance. Uh, and in doing so, it uh, activates an anti-inflammatory process. 
Interesting. All right, let's get this next caller on the air. Caller, where are you from? What's your question? I'm uh, Mike from Connecticut, and I have a question following up on, on that point. Go ahead. I wanted to have Dr. Pete's view on the use of supplemental digestive enzymes, like lipase, uh, protease, or peptase, to, to help break down the food to, mm-hmm. and uh, help absorb the nutrients before it gets to the gut, to the bacteria, to that okay. prevents from feeding them. Yeah. Is any of, of any use? Okay. Are you are you um, suffering with any malabsorption or that kind of thing that's got you interested in digestive enzymes? Or? I have a weak weak digestion, so yeah. I usually have a, a trouble troubles in the upper stomach. Yeah. Uh, and usually warm hot foods help. Uh, cold okay. foods are a little uh, right. harsher yeah. on my my system. Okay, Doctor P. I know you're a little skeptical on a wide range of supplements, but how about? Um, digestive enzymes in terms of uh, if there are any good digestive enzymes manufactured out there that are, I mean, obviously... The traditional thing was uh, basically dehydrated animal pancreas tissue. Okay. uh, And those are so similar to our own enzymes that they really do work. Yeah. Uh, But you have to be cautious that because they're uh, simply dehydrated, uh, they are a potential source of infection. Uh, but um, I, I'm skeptical about the uh, enzymes derived from fungus uh, because uh, you, in the same way you can't uh, absolutely purify them, and so they're going to drag along uh, some of the fungal antigens, and uh, you have to watch out for allergic reactions mm-hmm. because uh, if you're sensitive to the fungus antigens, you might react to their enzymes. Yeah. Okay, uh, I know that we uh, we produce we used to produce a product uh, called um, well actually we had two <laughs> uh, we had uh, digestive bitters uh, which was a uh, uh, an herb extract uh, from about nine different herbs and this is for the caller um, that were based on um, the Swiss uh, Swedish bitters sorry um, and then so they were mainly the bitters that we mentioned Dr. Pete mentioned that would stimulate stomach acid uh, production pepsin uh, lipase you know it get the stomach moving uh, and other things to break down fats etc etc and they were I've got some very good feedback um, uh, when we were producing this product um, so there they I think herbally um, it's always the rationale there to use bitters uh, using the taste receptors as a physiological trigger uh, to increase motility and production of enzymes uh, and these would certainly be beneficial um, I, I find people when I consult with them have widely differing uh, results with digestive enzymes uh, but I do find a lot of the bitter herbs uh, in the armament of herbal medicine actually very effective uh, for poor digestion or fat malabsorption etc great i'll look into it thank you yeah thank you for your call okay so dr p i uh, had a couple let's do a quick question i wanted to know okay uh, it probably made it too big for the, the last couple of minutes we have um but just looking at the political <laughs> the political will um of the governments to do the right thing in, in terms of, I saw that uh, a figure that coal-fired power plants are actually on the decline, 
um, surprisingly, although I know the current administration had vowed to increase them from the previous administration's uh, will to reduce them. Um, but that the developing company, countries like China and Asia and India especially are starting to produce lots of power stations to get their economies going because that's just the way it's been done traditionally. Uh, what do you think about the political will to make the world a cleaner place? If you can answer that in one minute or so, that would be great. I can mention a book that is very important on that issue called The Politics of Cancer by Samuel Epstein, uh, written in uh, 1978 with publication date. Uh, and he shows that uh, uh, the knowledge uh, of how to uh, prevent most cancer uh, has been around for almost 100 years, but uh, the uh, corporations that pollute run the government mm. agencies, uh, and uh, the, the agencies that you would think should be protecting the public, American Cancer Society, National Cancer Institute, uh, many research organizations and universities are funded so generously by the polluting industries uh, that they are working against the public, even though uh, the public pays them, uh, pays the government and these foundations supposedly uh, for th their protection. Mm. Actually, they're simply uh, uh, perpetuating uh, the, uh, the polluting Depressing, process. depressing. Well, uh, let's, uh, on that note, uh, let's let everyone uh, be reminded the politics of cancer, if I got that right, by Samuel Epstein. It could be well worth looking at on the internet. Uh, maybe get a copy of it and read it. Probably really educate yourself about what Dr. Pete just mentioned about the uh, mechanism of it all. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Pete. Okay, thank you. Okay, so for those people that uh, have listened to the show and want to find out more about Dr. Pete's uh, papers, his research, his uh, written works, etc., uh, Pete dot com uh, and for people who want to find out more about myself and um, our business it's western botanical medicine um i want to make people aware that there's going to be an instagram page launched here hopefully within the next six weeks to two months at the most um about dr pete's work and put it in audio clips uh, that we have produced since 2007 so that it's actually the words he's saying because I find a lot of misconstrued information on other supposedly Dr. Pete uh, advocating sites. So I want to set the record straight um, and that will be on an Instagram page called Western Botanical Medicine, I think, at this point. And um, thanks so much for listening. Until the third Friday of next month, good night. <laughs>